Ponya Fresno First family, good morning. And I hope everybody is staying cool or enjoyed the nice temperate climate that we just had last week because we're entering into a heat wave again. So uh, definitely when you're praying, lift up those that are affected by the heat that can't actually cool themselves down, especially if they're if they have uh, health concerns. And if you're new, welcome. We're excited that and blessed to have you worship with us today. Uh, we do ask that you fill out a connection card. And if you have any new information and, and you're a member and you've already filled out a connection card, if you have any new information, fill one out, stick it in the connection box, the back of the sanctuary or on the door. And uh, with that, let's go to the Lord and God's people of... Heavenly Father, we come to you we love you and we trust you. Thank you for your holy name that reigns forever and ever. Thank you for your son and for our salvation. Thank you for Holy Spirit, which gives us new birth. Thank you that your will is to have you in our lives and in our homes and in this church. And we thank you for making us on purpose and for purpose. Forgive us when we act out without thinking and help us to forgive those who frustrate us. We praise you for the victories and the answered prayers of your people here at Fresno First. And we also, we lift up to you those unspoken prayers. Those answered prayers that didn't go, didn't get answered the, the way we wanted. And we lift up to those long-suffering prayers that are lifted to you day after day, week after week, year after year and the wordless prayers that only you hear. Please tend to your people here at Fresno First. Please tend to our community, Lord. Please tend to our leaders. And may your love influence all we do, all to your glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of God's people said, Amen. Let's go to the Lord in worship. Would you please, um, in song, would you please stand? Scripture shares in Psalm 77, 14. You are the God of wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. Let's lift our voices and worship to the God of wonders. Lord of creation, water, earth, and sky, the heavens are your tabernacle, glory to the Lord on high, God of wonders beyond our galaxy.
scripture when we're reading about Christ he pauses he looks up and he prays he thanks God and he shows us how to pray that that in all of our life when we don't know what to do when we have questions when we have answers whatever it is we are to also look up and let God Take all the worries from us in this world. All the worries of this world I will lay them at your feet Surrender every anxious thought for perfect peace, your perfect peace. All the loved ones I'll endear, all my hopes and dreams and all my fears, I will choose. 
refuse to trust your name in everything, in everything. I will look up, for there is none above you. I will bow down to tell you that I need you. Standing. We're going to be doing something 
different over the next couple months. We're entering into a new a new series, and in that series, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at intimacy with God. So we're going to be looking at two separate scriptures and and bringing them together. And I'll be explaining more a little bit. And so right now, we are going to stand for the reading of God's word, Psalm twenty three. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This has been the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we continue to worship in song. You know, we had a focus about a month or so ago about coming to the altars. And we want to remind everybody as we sing, come to the altar, that this is a sacred space. It's a space that we come and bring our victories. It's where we bring our defeats. It's where we bring everything. It's where we come with the expectation to meet God. And we all need that expectation. And we need to practice it. So as we sing the next few songs, let's altars are open. Oh 
pray. Lord, we come to you. You are our Savior and you are, you are wonderful. And we, you are our altar. You are the place of our worship. You are the one that we come to and the one that that's, arms are always open, Lord. You are our living hope. When, there, when it feels in the world that there's a chasm between us, you close that gap. May we stay and as you stand in the gap, may we cling to you and may we begin to trust you more. May our faith increase, Lord. And may you draw us near to you, not because we feel that we have to, but we choose to. Thank you, Lord. Spoke your name. 
to God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we come to you because there's no one, no place else we'd rather be, Lord. And we bring to you and we ask that you bless our gifts and our tithes. 
that we choose to, that we make a decision to invest in this mission. We, we make a decision to partner with you by investing what you've already provided for us into your church. And I ask that you put on our heart, Lord, that, that we would do just that. We would make a choice for you. And it be shown in every aspect of our lives. That we hold nothing back. And so I ask that you, for these givings and these tithes, Lord, that you would bless it to your kingdom glory. That the lights to stay on and this would be a sanctuary and a safe place for those in our community. That we have a greater purpose right now that is invested into the future and we leave that future in your hands. And we thank you for making a difference in the souls that have yet to even hear your message because of the faithfulness of those that chose to invest into you. Thank you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that gets all the glory and praise and honor. Amen. And it's time to pass the peace, so if you want to stand up and go say hi to someone that you haven't seen all week, or uh, ask them uh, how the weather is.
Good morning, everybody. Uh, just a couple quick announcements for you is that um, just a reminder on the directory and like Pastor Jason was saying, even if we've been here for a while, if you have new information um, for the directory or for uh, anything else, um, but you can see uh, Timmy for directory information. Um, and then the other is an exciting announcement that we can partner with our uh, district actually on uh, raising uh, some funds. So our district uh, is going to um, look at setting up a disaster relief uh, shelter uh, and that's going to be, is that going to be at the Clovis Church or the, the office there? Is that where they're going to do that? Okay, that's right. Um, and so we're, uh, we're, we've been asked and called by our district to raise $100 to do that. Um, and so they're going to be giving out, uh, it's going to be for yeah, disaster relief and um, in times of need, that uh, area is going to be there. And so that's what our church has been uh, asked with in, in our district. So uh, pray about that. Consider that. It's going to be $100 from our church uh, that will go towards um, setting that up. So I think that's all I got. And last year, uh, remember this past winter, we had a bunch of rains and floods. Uh, the, the disaster relief fund got, got used. And so in anticipation for a potential another wet uh, year, which we heard that this winter may be another wet winter, as well as fire season has begun, the uh, disaster is it's just a matter of, of when, not if. And so thank you very much for um, making a difference in someone's life and helping the church to go ahead and be the proactive hands and feet of Christ to those that are in very real critical need, even though they aren't in need yet. 
God knows. If you have your Bibles and apps, we're going to be landing in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 32 through 37. This morning, we're starting a new series for the rest of the summer titled Intimacy with God. And we're going to be focusing on our relationship with God and looking for ways to increase our intimacy with the Lord. And the definition of intimacy for our purposes is simply into me you see. And so the goal is to come before the Lord, open, transparent, and hiding nothing from God who already knows our hearts better than we do, and let him transform us, see us, and become vulnerable to the God that created us. That just sounds right, doesn't it? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? So let's go ahead and reinforce that. And we're going to be using uh, King David from the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at his life because King David did something really cool. Did you know that he wrote over half of the Psalms? Of the 150 Psalms, King David is credited for over 50% of them. And in that, he pours his heart out. He pours out his anguish. He pours out his praise. He pours out his frustration. He pours out every single piece of him open before God. King David does not attempt to, to sterilize or romanticize or dilute or compromise himself before God. And because of that, God declares King David a man after his own heart. Isn't that our goal as Christians? To be persons and people after God's own heart? Isn't the, the phrase that we want to, to be heard when we see God for the first time is, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. Yes, amen. And that'll happen if we are people and persons after God's own heart. So as we learn to apply from King David his example, examples of his life and the example of the Psalms that he wrote, we're going to do it in a non-sterilized, non-romanticized, non-diluted and non-compromised way that we can become more open and authentic and vulnerable, understanding that God only already knows our hearts and then we can begin to be challenged to share a depth of who we are with God that we have not done so before. Breaking in those boundaries of faith, breaking through that glass ceiling of trust to really turn to God and to trust him in a way that we didn't think was possible this morning. That's where we're going over the next couple weeks. And as we move through this, we're going to be looking at the real-life experiences of King David. And we're going to be taking that and relating it to a psalm that King David wrote and that will give us a deeper context. So, for example, this morning uh, we read Psalm 23. And we're going to apply Psalm 23 through the context of 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 37. As King David was a young, idealistic shepherd boy. And later on, we're going to look at how God had tempered him through life experiences. And I want to illustrate what intimacy with God is. All right? All right so imagine a big, beautiful tree. I'll help you imagine it right there. 
And on that, there's beautiful, huge branches. And, and the tree, the trunk, the stem represents us. And those branches, well, they, I'm sorry, the tree stem represents God. The branches, they represent us connected to God. See, unless a branch is connected to the tree, it cannot live. Look on the sides of the church. See those branches that have been cut off. And you can tell how long they've been cut off by the decay of their death, of the leaves changing. Some of them are already bright and, and red. Some of them are still look like they're alive, but they're not. They're dead and they just don't realize it. See, a branch must abide in the tree to be nourished and grow. And when a branch abides on the tree and nourishes and grows, that is called intimacy with God. And if we're not connected with God, we are dead in our sins and we lack integrity. Integrity is the holiness of God that flows through us by the power of the Spirit. Integrity is the power of God that, and the holiness of God that flows through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. When a branch loses its integrity, when it no longer is intimate with God, it becomes hollow and it starts rotting out from the inside and it can no longer hold up to the weight and the challenges of life and before long it will break. And intimacy with God is where the body of Christ, where we so often are compromised. Uh, we all know stories and, and hear them of character failures. See, unfortunately, when we live without integrity, we compromise our spiritual life. And that results in a lack of intimacy to grow in our faith. And what happens is we become hollow and we break, and we potentially injure those around us. We need to remember that, that each, each branch must be filled, <clears throat> and us as branches must be filled with holiness to maintain integrity of our spiritual life, as well as to abide in the Lord through intimacy with Him. And that's where we're going to be journeying over the next couple of weeks, uh, months, to grow in our intimacy with God looking to him and this morning we're looking to god as our lord and shepherd so if you're able would you please stand for the reading of god's word first samuel 17 32 through 37 david said to saul let no one lose heart on account of this philistine your servant will go and fight him Paul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried, it off, carried the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. This has been a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <coughs> Our text is set when King David 
leaves the, his father's flock and the sheep and, and goes over to this battlefield and, and you have uh, this valley and you have the, the Philistines on one side and you have the nation of Israel on the other side. And, and what's happening is Goliath is coming down daily and he's mocking the Israelites. He's mocking God. And he's challenging everybody to send down a representative from the nation of Israel that he can fight one-on-one. King David finds out about Goliath's challenge, goes ahead and is inspired, convinced that he can go ahead and do it, and decides to go ahead and argue with King Saul that this young shepherd boy, who's not part of the regular army, who doesn't have any combat training at all, is going to go ahead and should be Israelites' representative against the Philistines in one-on-one mortal combat. I don't know why Saul agreed to it. Because you just, even saying that does not make sense. Right? You got a kid, modern day, decides, I think I'm going to go ahead and Go fight the number one soldier of a different country, and I, I'm still in high school, and I have no fighting experience against other people, and I'm not trained in military tactics. You go and do your best. There's something wonderful about the youth that we lose over time, and it's an abundance of conviction, and it's abundance of self-confidence. I think it's sometimes that it's because in our younger years, our worldview is narrowed and, and we begin to, or we have a narrow circle of friends and when we talk and we share about life, when we're young, we have all the answers, don't we? We get together, I know how to fix that problem and we solve all the world's problems in one evening because we're smart enough to figure it out when we're young. If you talk to most young people and when I do, I find that they're intuitive they're smart they have good answers and i encourage them and i'll give them credit they figure things out pretty well and i encourage them along that path to use the minds that god has given them you know and after high school and 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 college and and we get this education and we're empowered by knowledge and and set to conquer the world yet we still have not been tempered by life years experience and all that comes with the harsh realities of growing up god seems to use those years and those life experiences to help shape and develop us into the humans he would have us become and in the book of samuel we see that david a young shepherd boy, has a very limited worldview. He knows his little small section of the world, and he sees the world through that section. He sees life through the lens of of being his family's shepherd to the flocks. And in that, he's learned quite a few life lessons that would be well for all of us, that, that sacrifice and understanding take commitment And they take great responsibility. Most scholars put David, pin him around the age of 15 to the age of 20 when he fought Goliath, this giant that nobody could beat. So for our purposes, it's good to go ahead and have a visual. Let's go ahead and picture King David. About 17 going on 18 this morning. 
Right? That's something that we can, we can even remember as we grow older in life, what that was like. The ideas, the ambition of, of that senior year in high school that the world was our oyster and we knew that we could conquer anything we put our task to, especially if it challenged us. The thing is, I don't want to focus too much on this battle between David and Goliath. That's a sermon for another day. Rather, I want to look at this useful experience of David and his heart, which is the goal of what we're doing David was a man after God's own heart, and we want to be people after God's own heart and have a church after God's own heart. And so roughly about the age of 17, David is responsible for his family's flock. That includes tending to the flock. Defending the flock means killing things. It means feeding, helping deliver, multiplying, and hurting the flock. He's so confident in his worldview and and life experience that he has no doubt that he can accomplish what no one in Israel is willing to even attempt. And that's to fight and beat and kill Goliath. David isn't going in there with a, hey, put me in. I can go ahead and beat him in the last round. David's going in full gusto saying, I'm going to kill him right now. Put me in. And I'll hand it to him. David has game. I don't know of any 17-year-old that can claim to have killed bears and lions single-handedly while in the wilderness, totally alone, protecting the family's business. And in that, there seems to be some youthful confidence as he argues with King David that he should be the one to represent the nation of Israel. David becomes enraged at Goliath and the Palestines for Palestinians for mocking not only Israel, also mocking God. The Gentiles are mocking everything that David believes in to his very core. And David at this point takes it personal. Have you ever tried to argue with a teenager or an adult? It, a, a teenager or a young adult. Do you, do you remember when you were a, a young person that, or you might still be there right now, that when someone tries to convince you that goes against every single conviction and belief that you have in your life, is that going to change no matter what their argument is? Is it going to change your mind? No. Because at our core, this is what we believe, and we're not going to change that. And when the more we try, the more emotionally challenging and heated the conversation comes. And David is convicted that someone needs to defend God's honor. And he's determined to show that he is going, he is the one to right this wrong. David knew his abilities. David trusted himself enough to march head first into a lethal situation because of his because of his trust. And because of his faith in God. And hardness of the heart blocks our ability to trust. From an older, older man's perspective, I'm convinced that God used David in spite of David. There's a, there's a logical reason. While no other soldier in Israel's army at the time even ventured to think, pick me. Scripture doesn't say that any other soldier was like, hey, you know what? 
I'll do it. I'm the, the best warrior in the army. I'll go ahead and represent. No one else did it. All the older ones said, no, I'm not going to jump in and face David. Did they see the same thing as David? Yeah. They were there day in, day out when Goliath would come down, mock Israel, mock God, and challenge Israel. They saw it. Were they offended? Who wouldn't be offended? They were offended every morning. It probably ruined their breakfast. So what's the difference between youthful motivation and and this mature caution? Because right now we're looking at a couple of a very different perspectives of this battle. The simple answer is an undiluted, uncalloused faith and trust in God. David trusted his abilities. David trusted God's abilities. David had faith that God could and would and that God is God and David had faith that he was not God. David had faith that God would live up to his promises and God does. David had faith and trust that was undiluted through life's circumstances. He was still young and he still had this narrow world view and, and he, David was in the place of his life that he could trust and he could have faith that was undiluted because in his worldview, every problem was seen as a lion or a bear. And when you see a lion or bear, what do you do? You kill it. Goliath's just another lion or bear. It's the type of mentality that when you see a wall, you march headlong through it and you bust a hole through it without checking for a door first, which is fine. I appreciate that because I used to be like that. Now I, I check the doors. Work smarter, not harder. The older soldiers, like many of us, have been tempered by life, by struggles. And, and we have learned, haven't we, that have survived this long? We know which battles to pick. We know when we can go against Goliath. And we know when we give Goliath a wide berth. Because we want to live to see another day. We know our limitations. We know our boundaries. We know prevailing wisdom has taught us to be more cautious if we want to thrive and survive and get on. See, it's not that we don't trust God. It's not that we don't have faith in God. We just don't have this narrow, youthful world view. We value the mindset that you Think twice, and you, or you measure twice, and you only have to cut once. That you check the door handle before you, you break it open. And the older we get, we collect more responsibilities. We don't just get to leave the family's business because we want to go check out where the latest battle is. We got careers instead of our jobs. Sometimes we have a spouse and a family We have credit cards, we have rent, we have mortgage, we have utility bills, phone charges, groceries to buy, and with coupons. I just want to say with coupons. And uh, we have vehicles that require upkeep, and we have bodies that require upkeep. And sometimes we got to think about that battle, and we think, I don't think my body can handle it anymore. 
So with each promotion, with each responsibility, we become just a little more hesitant. Inch by inch by inch by inch by inch. Each more, each promotion, each responsibility causes us to be a little more cautious, to take a little more time before we run into potential trouble or, or put our necks out on the line. You know what else comes with age? Disappointment, hurt, and broken trust. As we grow, we realize there are more threats to life than just mere bears and lions. We could lose our homes. We could lose our families. We could go through a divorce. We could watch those closest to us suffer and die. And with each experience, we may cry out to God for an alternative ending to that story. And in that, our faith becomes battle-tested and challenges like Goliath pale in comparison to the daily fights that God only knows that we wake up to when we get up on the right side of the bed every day. The tough thing is, it's with each hard experience, we grow another layer of hurt that increases our defenses and insulates us from those around us, insulates us from our faith. It insulates us from the local church community, and we start trusting less. And when we begin to, to, to trust left, our spiritual life suffers. And we begin to harden ourselves because of a lack of trust. And a lack of trust seeps into a lack of faith. And again, it all started because we were protecting ourselves against one more shattered hope. Because every shattered hope makes us just a wee bit more cynical. And then the more trust that is broken, we learn that the only person that we can truly trust is ourselves. Because I can't rely on that person because they've let me down. I'll just trust myself and pretend that I trust them. You see, we all know God has a plan. But we're a little less apt to jump in front of Goliath when we've been staying up all night. When we're trying to make ends meet, when we've got deadlines, when we've got bills to pay, when the kids are sick or our spouse is sick, it's a little less apt to jump in the fight of the Goliath when you're staring at the checkbook and wondering when it's going to change direction. And each time, each incident begins to callous us and our emotions and harden our hearts. And in that hardness of heart, it blocks our ability to trust. And when we reach this point, whether we say it or not, really the question is, can I trust God? Theologians differ on the exact occasion that influenced King David to write Psalm 23. Most agree that it was later in life. For example, in verse 5, he was old enough to have enemies. I think everybody here can relate. Verse 4, he had faced danger. I think all of us can relate. In verse 3, he was experiencing rest. I hope we can relate. In verse 5, he was experiencing prosperity. I certainly hope that we know what that is in Christ. All of these things point to an older person or at least one who has reached adulthood. 
It's very probable that, that Psalm 23 was written about the time that King David was at war with his son Absalom, and they were at battle with each other. And I don't know if you know this, but at one point, Scripture says that King David was kicked. He was dethroned and kicked out of Israel. It's one of the darkest times of Jerusalem, one of the darkest times of his life. And it was in those darkest hours that we, he pins those beautiful words that stay with us and give us hope day in, day after. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. When I've lost that home, my family, my responsibilities, when I'm not even welcome in the town in which I promise to serve and protect, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. David grew up as the, the shepherd of the family flock, and, and now he's king of Israel. He's a man after God's own heart, a person that, that seeks the face of God in every moment. But no longer do we see in the psalm the enthusiasm that we read about when he confronted King Saul and said, that, send me in, I'm the one to represent because I can beat Goliath because I beat a bear. Now we see gentleness that comes from my struggles, the harsh realities of, of day in, day out living. It's tempered King David quite a bit. We can only imagine King David wrote these words as an outpouring of our soul that he was surrendering everything to the presence of God, which is to say that every disappointment, every struggle, every hurt, betrayal was all laid out before God. David held nothing back and said, God, this is it. This is who I am. This is the good, the bad, the ugly. I want you to have all of it. David sought to be a branch that was connected to the tree that bore fruit of holiness through his integrity of the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through him. The once shepherd boy surrendered himself to the good shepherd and, and this in imagery reveals that David and, I, and, and us desire to have with God that, that David is calling upon God and we can call upon God too for freedom, to rest, to have peace, and to be restored. For God to lead us. Lead us while being present with us. That He would walk with us and then meet us where we're going. Not for our sake, because we're super, super good people and, and God deserves to have us walk with Him. No, He walked with us and meets us there for His name's sake. And if God is doing that, can't we trust him? Isn't God faithful to his own self and to us? You know, when the Lord is our shepherd, we, we shall not want. He is the only one that God is the only one that can truly provide all that we need. And God can do it better than we can. And David writes of provision, protection, and, and presence of God and, and lives that allow to have oneness with God and to trust in Him. And David is worshiping and writing and giving himself over to the God who sees us through the valleys. The God that leads us to the mountaintops. The God that anoints our heads with oil. And He does it Himself. He, the God that heals, the God that renews, the God 
that protects and defends. And we can only imagine that King David in writing this goes back in his mind's eye to his youth as he used to tend to the sheep. So now he sees himself as one of God's flock. And all those things that King David did, he surrenders himself in trust and faith. Even with the harsh realities and struggles and calluses of life, David learns and practices trust and faith, saying, lead me. David tended to every ewe, ram, and lamb. He fought the bears and lions and, and understands his freedom. And, and in that, David looks to the one with the rod, the staff, and the oil. He looks over and abides among David looks to God who abides among his people as we are to look to God to abide among us as we abide in him. David knew every name of, the, of all the sheep and God knows our name. Scriptures talks about that and, and God wants us to abound in his freedom because that's where only true freedom is found. God. And then David declares that mercy and goodness will come in intimacy with God because we will be dwelling in the house of God all the days of our life. That doesn't mean that we live in the sanctuary. That means that we live in a constant conscious of, of who God is, practicing his presence with us, and seeking him in all we do with the fullness of trust and the fullness of, of faith. And we can say we trust God. Can we say we trust God? Yeah. We can. He's our shepherd and we can trust him. And God is trustworthy. And, and we know this is a fact, but the reality of trusting God doesn't come easy. When Think about it. Think about the, the level of trust that we've had over the years. When we're young, when we're infant size, a baby de- has to trust on its next meal that it's not going to be poison because a baby can't go out and get it. As we grow older, we learn that we, we don't need to trust others, that we find ways to go ahead and handle things ourselves, and we also find that some people aren't trustworthy. And over time, we start putting people on a trust scale. How much of myself can I trust you with? How much can I share with you? And that's just a natural expression of a hardened heart. Someone who's seen life realities and is a little, little more cautious to share and open up to others. The issue is, when we practice this, we also unintentionally practice this with God. And here's where the grace of God breaks through. God's trustworthiness, God's faithfulness is not subject to to our circumstances. He's not subject to our brokenness. He's not subject to our hardness of heart. He's not subject to our trust scales. God's trust, God's trustworthiness comes from God, comes from his holiness, and it comes from his character. Our trusting God is on us. Our trusting God is a choice that we make. We either choose to trust God or we choose not to trust God. You can't kind of trust God. It's not on God. This is a decision for us to make, and it's got to be a 
a question. So do I trust God? And, and my experience is that this is where we fail to fully trust God because when we're truly honest with ourselves, it's hard for us to trust ourselves. We fail. We become incomplete. And if I'm supposed to, if I'm the only person I can rely on because of the realities of life and I've got to trust God, then how can I trust God more than I trust myself? And we begin to paint God with our, lack, our personal lack of trustworthiness the more our hearts become calloused. Fine. Just be honest about it. That's what we're talking about. That's intimacy with God. Did you know that God already knows your heart? God knows the prayers before they leave your lips. Do you think it surprises God that we don't trust him as much as we say we do? Yeah. So, so here's the catch. Is that if we're going to go ahead and, and, and grow spiritually, we need to abide and seek and be connected and have intimacy with God. And that only comes when we reach the place that King David reached and open ourselves up completely and transparently to God exactly where we are and who we are. And it means that we begin to have an honest conversation with God. And so the question again, do you trust God? And most of us would trust God as only as much as we are able to surrender to God. It's that scale. I will trust you as much as I can surrender to you. When trust is broken, surrender is less. When trust is gained, surrender is more. And the thing is, sometimes we've just been given God lip service rather than full service because do we trust God with our entire being or do we just trust God with the leftovers of our life? A branch can only abide and mature on a tree that it trusts that will provide all of its needs. And we can only discover our identity in the fruit in Christ if we're willing to develop an intimacy with God and stay connected and abide to Him, allow His holiness to flow through us, transform us, and change us. And that's a choice. And that's a decision. You know, a simple, honest prayer, I don't know where everybody is, but it would be something like, God, I want to trust you and I don't trust you as much as I should or as much as I want to trust you. I don't trust you as though my life depends on it. I trust you as much as I can surrender and sometimes that's not very much. Can you help me with that? Can you help me to trust you more? That's a good prayer if that's where you're at. That's a prayer God will honor if you mean it. And God will help you trust him more. God's good like that. And when we do, we recognize the source and the power of our prayers and love and life comes from the grace of God. And the more time we spend with God, the more time we spend in prayer, the more time we spend in His Word, the more time we spend connecting and fellowship with other believers, the more we can learn to trust in Him. And we begin, we stop fighting when God makes us lie down in the green pastures. We desire to be led down right past for His namesake. We stop watching our backs because we know God has it and God's people have it. And pretty soon, goodness and mercy, we always thought was for those other people, those perfect people, those people that I will never compare or be, you know, live up to their standards. 
that that goodness and mercy is available for us, for me. Because we can truly say, God, I trust you. Intimacy of God comes through trusting God, that God is God and God is in control and, and the Lord is our shepherd and He's trustworthy. And that's good news and it allows us to radically free and live in the life of God's care and love and joy. You know, King David, when he was young, he had that youthful, undiluted trust and faith. And then he grew up. And he found out that he can still have an undiluted trust and faith in God who's faithful and trustworthy. And he opened himself up because he made the realization that God already knows his heart. So this morning, where we're moving forward as a church, as people and persons in a body, to begin to be challenged to open ourselves up authentically to God. Everything. We're going to start opening ourselves up this morning in trust and in faith. And we're going to be moving more and more as we take to God every single aspect of our life to allow Him to change us and to us live in the fullness of the blessing of our salvation here on earth. Because being a Christian is a choice. No one forced you to come to church today. No one forces you to worship. No one does anything. You had a choice to be here. And you chose God. Let's choose them every day. So our challenge this week, read Psalm 23 every single day. This is on the back of your bulletins. I forgot to make a slide for it. Um, and then talk to one person how you can trust God more. And then when you're reading that psalm, think of those areas in that psalm that you haven't quite, you don't quite trust God with. Because we all have that those areas. Take a spiritual inventory. How much do you trust God? And what areas do you trust God most? What areas do you trust God least? And take one step this week into trusting God more. It doesn't have to be a big step. It could just be a leaning forward into God. And are you willing to ask God to help you trust Him more? Would you please stand as we stand for ascending and a blessing? May God, our good shepherd, lead you to quiet waters and green pastures. May you trust that God will see you through the dark valleys and heal you in his presence. May you learn to trust God more and more each day as you connect, grow, and serve in our communities, trusting he will supply all you need as he guides you into a deeper relationship with him. You are sent. Amen.